they had plans to destroy um, 71 river miles, confiscate that land, turn it over to the U.S. government forever, build their security enforcement zone with roads and high security cameras and high intensity floodlights. And then the cherry on top was going to be this 30 foot steel bollard wall. You've always taken such charge. You are listening to the Border Chronicle. I'm Melissa Del Bosque, investigative journalist and co-founder of the Independent Border Chronicle. For this episode, I went down to Laredo, Texas, to talk with Tricia Cortez, executive director of the Rio Grande International Study Center who has been fighting construction of a border wall and encroachment on people's lands in her community for years. We'll let her take it from here. We go by RISC for short, R-G-I-S-C. The G may be silent, but we are not. Um, We've been here 29 years. We're primarily a research and advocacy environmental organization that's focused on things like river restoration, climate impacts, water security and drought, um, and cultural organizing and uh, community-based nature programming as well. And um, we're here in Laredo and we're on the campus, right? Can you talk about your office is in a historic building, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Um, Can you talk about the historic nature of the building? Yes, we're housed at Laredo College, um, mainly because our founders were... Um, instructors and professors, and they got us a housing arrangement here that we've had for almost three decades. And these are the former officers' quarters of Fort McIntosh. I think this building's about 150 years old, and sometimes it does seem and feel like it's 150 years old. But uh, yeah, this is our home. So I think things became very real for us here in Laredo. and Zapata County downstream from us when Trump made this announcement. It was a national emergency declaration for the entire southern United States. And I remember we didn't know what exactly that meant. And we were pretty stunned because we didn't live our lives, our day-to-day lives in fear. We go down to the river all the time. We kayak it. There's fishermen all the time, um, hikes, birding, um, you know, carne asadas and picnics. And and so it was not our, our lived reality. We Laredo consistently FBI data showed that we're one of the safest cities in the United States compared to cities of our size. And so we're pretty safe community. Um, and we're out and about, you know, nobody lives in fear here and nobody avoids going down to the river or the parks or nature trails. And, um, You know, Laredo was built um, in 1755. It's older than the United States, and it's built up against the river. And we knew that the river was going to be a central figure in all of this because it's 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 
the reason why we exist. It's the reason why these communities exist and we're built right up to it. And it's a highly distressed river system, one of the 10 most endangered rivers in the world, according to the World Wildlife Fund. And it's our only source of drinking water for us and for many. You know, we knew that that this was going to quickly come under threat. Anyway, so that Saturday, I remember when that declaration was announced, we met. It was a group of about maybe 15 of us from our organization. There were attorneys, people from the faith community, LULAX, um, the Heritage Foundation, uh, really trying to grapple with what this meant and what our response was going to be. So our initial coalition, I remember it was, it was called Where's the Emergency or Where's yeah. the National Emergency? Yeah. And, and what, what year and, and month was this? This was, um, well, Trump um, made his declaration um, on February 15th, 2019. 2019. And, and so uh, I remember it was in the, he did that in the Rose Garden and we met that first Saturday. And, you know, I mean, we, we, we went through our trial and errors, right? That first coalition didn't last long. It, 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 it failed. And then, um, we regrouped again and we, we were trying to just understand what this meant. And what we did come to learn is that this national emergency declaration was going to be about big money, about huge, massive contracts that were going to very profoundly impact us in our land. Um, and going to a very few handpicked contractors that were close to that administration. And I, I believe it was a month later, our organization became the lead plaintiff in a federal lawsuit against Trump um, uh, regarding the National Emergency Declaration. And, you know, we started to meet and and you know, doing all of the traditional things, you know, we had a town hall and we brought up people from the Valley who'd been in this struggle already for several years. Uh, Mariana Trevino Wright from the National Butterfly Center, people from the uh, Texas Civil Rights Project, um, lawyers from Earth Justice came. So we had this really huge um, town hall that was standing room only so that people could understand what this meant for us. And I remember we did silent sit-ins at the river and we did press conferences and things like that. But I think where we were beating our heads against the wall was this is a national story. And we felt that most of our work was just very local, right? It was with the media, it was very local, maybe a little regional stuff. And we were trying to figure out how do we make this a national story? Because this is certainly a, a national story and one of Trump's main, main pillars and, and, and one of his main campaign promises. And so from, from there, uh, you know, we go into 2020 and and then COVID hits, um, but the border wall work does not slow down at all, at all. I mean, the, the, the whole world is in a shutdown and impacting everybody, you know, where you work and how you live. And but the wall was not slowing down. I mean, they were moving. So I remember that spring we started to work with two people in the in, in in the environmental justice movement 
they are property owners here on the river and they were home visiting uh, their family and they got stuck here with the lockdown. And so they, they got involved with us and they really, really started to help our coalition start to think through strategies and think through tactics. And, uh, that was in this, in, in the spring of 2020. And then, um, I remember we started to get hear about these first contracts that were going to be dropped onto the Laredo sector. Um, and in the end, the administration ended up dropping four contracts on the Laredo sector, which along the river means Webb County, where Laredo is, and Zapata County, just downstream from us. It's 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 a large area, and they had plans to destroy um, 71 river miles, confiscate that land, turn it over to the U.S. government forever, build their security enforcement zone with roads and high security cameras and high intensity floodlights. And then the cherry on top was going to be this 30 foot steel bollard wall. Um, and they were going to take off, you know, about 200, 250 feet off the river. I mean, you're talking, you know, like a five lane highway that, that we were going to be cut off. And so we were going to lose past memory and future memory from neighborhoods and orphanage, ranches, uh, the community college, parks, nature trails that we were going to lose. And it was it was unfathomable to think that. But, you know, it was this David versus Goliath fight. Um, and I remember we heard all the time in 2020, 2020, um, and, and especially in 2020, you know, this is a done deal. The money is there. This, there's nothing you can do about this. Why can't you compromise? And we would say, what are, what are we going to compromise? This administration doesn't compromise and this administration needs the land to do it. And so the way that we decided to do this with our coalition, because it ended up becoming a very formidable, diverse coalition that included landowners, veterans, artists, educators, students, activists, teachers, all sorts of people. And we did these really creative, big actions that got hundreds of thousands of of viral hits on social media and Steve Bannon got wind of it and, you know, unleashed all his minions, you know, and, uh, I, I, I think so. So the strategy was simple. It was delay cancel. And that meant do everything in our power that we could to delay the construction of wall and, you know, throw a Hail Mary pass that Trump wouldn't win re-election because Biden had already made uh, uh, an announcement on the campaign trail, not another foot. And then if he came in, then cancel. And we were operating with these three tracks. You know, there was a robust legal track with various types of lawsuits going on. There was um, a political track where we were in touch with our elected officials at all levels trying to push, push. And then I think it was our grassroots organizing part of things that really, that really um, resonated most deeply with the community and got a lot of people involved. And, and these very large scale 
actions that we did um, that I, I think was a game changer for us um, and very conservative Laredo. You know, I mean, traditionally, yes, this is a blue area, but it is a conservative area. And the types of actions we ended up doing, you know, like this huge two block street mural on on Victoria Street in front of the federal courthouse, um, you know, defund the wall, fund our future. You know, George Floyd had just been murdered and, you know, the 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 nation and, and the world, you know, was was marching and protesting. And and we felt connected in many ways to that sort of injustice because South Texas, you know, we carry this collective memory of violence and brutality and theft of land. Um, so much of it related to race and, um, you know, who we are down here and, and the land. And so we didn't want the border wall and that confiscation of so much land turning over the river forever um, to become part of that, of, of the next chapter of that same book. We just, we weren't going to allow that at whatever we had to do. That was not going to be the future chapter we were going to write for ourselves. So I remember, you know, in that summer, we were thinking about what to do that would be big. And so those street murals were happening. So some of us contacted a few chapters of Black Lives Matter and said, look, you know, we're in solidarity with you. And, you know, we have this issue here with, with, with the border wall. Um and 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 explaining stuff to them and saying, you know, would you be okay if we did this sort of action, you know, with this sort of message? And, you know, they're not, they they don't have a centralized force, you know, they're more decentralized, but we got the thumbs up. So we're like, let's do it. And uh, you know, went through major hoops th- from the city to make it happen. And I just remember, I remember that Friday. That Friday night when they the city, you know, closed off the streets at major downtown street to us, I just couldn't believe it. And we started chalking the letters, you know, we were doing it 30 feet yellow letters, 30 feet, because that's the size of the wall. And um, I was like, this, like, look, this is a turning point in Laredo and nothing's ever a done deal and we can make things happen. And we'd we'd gone through so many obstacles with the city council to finally get the permits and the approvals to do this. Right. I think we were the first and only border city to do an, something of that scale and magnitude. And we took up two city blocks on Victoria street, one of the oldest, uh, most important downtown boulevards when it comes to like these seats of power, right? The federal courthouse, the city hall, the county courthouse. And so we, we did it in, in yellow. I mean, very professionally done, um, in these yellow, huge 30 foot tall letters of defund the wall, fund our future with the yellow rose of Texas. Uh, and that, that, you know, we had about more than a hundred volunteers that came to chalk and paint and, uh, do all that stuff. You know, we had drone footage. And when we finished, I remember that Sunday, it was just some, it was, it was really neat. All of us kids, older 
people, younger people, just all standing on it, you know, with our fists raised. And, um, and it was beautiful because it was done so well, the, the proportions and we, we'd done it right with these architects and stuff to, to get it to look, you know, really, uh, like a professional job. And, this went viral. There were hundreds of thousands of hits. Steve Bannon caught wind and, you know, unleashed his minions on us. And we knew we'd hit our target. We knew that was our target. It was the White House. And uh, when you say unleashed his minions, can you talk about that? What, what was that like? Well, through online, right through our no border wall, social media um, platforms. I mean, they just you know, um, sent a gazillion messages and threats. So what happened as a result is that it, uh, it angered them so much, you know, the Trumpers, they organized, I think it was the largest Trump train in Texas to come to Laredo. That street mural did that. And part of the plan was to come and drive over it and deface it. We knew this was coming. So, and it was on the 9-11 anniversary weekend. And, but we beat them to the punch. We got our permits in first to have a touch up, right? Because what happened is the city had just, um, what do you call it? Repaved that street. So the, the mural was getting dirty because it, it had just been freshly, you know, redone by the city like a couple of weeks before. So we were like, well, we're, we're, we need to refresh it, you know, so it can look nice. And this is going to be a veterans family event. And it was, and it was a uh, veterans against the wall. Um, and so, so, oh man, this was another huge battle. We had people from the city call us and say, you're going to have to move your touching up day because we're having the Trump train come to Laredo and that's part of their route with their vehicles. And we were like, wait a minute, we, what's the date of their permit? Oh, they haven't put in a permit. Well, who gave them permission? The mayor? Oh, well, yes, because he's ideologically aligned with them, not the city council, but the mayor. And so, no, we've put in the permit. We've paid the thousand dollars. We've done all these things. And so you can't ask us to move the date or time. You're going to have to ask them to reroute their little parade of vehicles. This was a huge battle that ensued. And in the end, we won and they were forced to reroute. And it was thousands of them that came from all over Texas. Mind you, most of them that didn't look like us, right? And this community is 95% Hispanic. They re rerouted veterans and their families, touched up the mural. And we had, you know, this 30 foot massive standing banner that like was, you know, vets. I can't remember the phrasing, but it was like, you know, vets stand with Laredo, stop the wall. And, and we had all our banners and got a lot of, you know, FUs and the fingers thrown at us. And we just stood there with our, with our own posters and banners as, as they rerouted, um, on, on the edge of our, of our mural. 
Yeah. Um, did you receive like some pretty serious threats online? Did you get a lot of those like bots and yeah, it was threatening a, messages? It was a crazy time. And here the Border Patrol Union um, in Laredo was very, very political, hardcore Trumpers and, you know, had these minions. So, so yes. And, and they uh, incited I believe a lot of um, animosity toward us and 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 lies. I remember they made this, um, especially this one video of me saying things that I never said. You know, calling me a, a socialist and wanting to defund the police. All these things that we never ever ever said. Right? We stayed like laser focused on our own messaging. Right. And I remember calling that border patrol union president and other people saying, well, let's meet. Why don't we talk about this and meet? And he never did. And so it was a very, as you can imagine, a very heated, um, time and a lot of threats. And, and I remember we met with the Laredo sector border patrol chief and his chiefs and showed him stuff and said, your guy who's in charge of the union, which we understand is not border patrol. It's something separate, but he's making it seem with all the logos that this is from your border patrol union. And if there's any violence that happens in here, we're putting you on notice and we're letting you know, we're showing you what they're putting out there, what they're saying. and." what it's inciting. So if violence comes here, it's on you. And so we, we made that very clear in a meeting with them. Yeah. And did you receive uh, death threats? Cause I know people down in the Rio Grande Valley have received death threats. Um, yes. On, on social, a lot on social media, mm -hmm. just didn't respond to them. All of this happened and we ended up, what we ended up doing with our coalition is connecting with other groups on the border that were also fighting this. And this was more grassroots stuff and indigenous groups, um, you know, the Tohono O'odham and the Kumeyaay, um, you know, they were part of it and our allies in Standing Rock. You know, we'd had this huge um, march here in Laredo uh for MLK Day called, you know, I have a dream, no border wall. And we brought these these allies from Standing Rock, the these Lakota, um, these Lakotas, and they taught us a lot. You know, they sat with us and and taught us about how we need to um organize ourselves and and how to do actions. And in the end, what that meant is we had a regular meeting of this sort of larger border network of groups from the Valley in Texas, El Paso, um, the Tohono O'odhams, the Kumeyaay out of San Diego, um, the Friendship Park people out of San Diego, and, and some people sometimes from New Mexico. And it's, and it's how we stayed together. So then the election happens and Biden wins. And but we know we're not in the clear, right? I mean, the first half of the strategy has happened. We still have these four contracts. We still have the billion dollars that's dropped on us. We still had um, a, a lot of um, uh, lawsuits tied up in the federal courts on the right-of-way easement, right? Because it's a two-step condemnation process that the federal government uses. And so all this stuff is still 
pending and it's still there. And so Biden comes in and I remember that January, um, after that crazy insurrection, we did this border wide in 15 cities, another action called not another foot. And, you know, we have these huge billboards in Wilmington, Delaware, in front of Biden's central campaign place and in Laredo. And we had all these banners and we were trying to um, work to really amplify visually all of this stuff and apply pressure and get in touch we were we tried so hard right to get in with anybody we could um get to know in the transition team to tell them this hey 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 you know pay attention to us you know we need you to 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 cancel cancel this and so um that took time because i remember day 1 of biden's term he put a stop he didn't cancel but he put a stop and so we claimed that little victory, but again, we knew this was not over. And so it was not until that summer of 2021 when the Homeland Secretary Mayorkas rescinded the four contracts for the Laredo sector for those 71 miles. That was going to be all of Webb and a portion of Zapata up through the huge reservoir of Falcón. But we still had the billion dollars that was sitting there in a pot for the Laredo sector for border wall. So it was always this big, huge, dark thundercloud that was just looming. I mean, it was a huge victory for those four contracts because I believe we were the only community on the entire southern border that where that happened. And then with the money, it took another year. It wasn't until 2022 in the summer where Mallorcas decided to take the billion dollars from Laredo and um, reallocate it, unfortunately, to other border wall um, projects to finish things or what have you. So it was, it was a very bittersweet thing where we couldn't really celebrate because there were other brothers and sisters, right, on the border that they weren't going to be able to escape this still. I mean, and we've always known that the one thing that makes us and keeps us most vulnerable to this madness is the waivers of law. In the U.S. Real ID Act, which passed after uh, 9-11, um, Congress uh, wrote into law, it gives the Homeland Security Director the power to waive laws, federal laws that protect humans and and the lands and wildlife, um, it waives and and suspends all of these federal laws to expedite construction of a border wall. And nowhere in the United States does this happen except on the border. So we're relegated to this like type of second class citizenship where we're not afforded the same rights, Clean Water Act, Clean Air Act, the NEPA, you know, the National Environmental Policy Act, um, the Antiquities Act, things dealing with indigenous stuff, endangered species, uh, you name it. We are, they suspend these laws and we don't have access to them um, when it comes to the border wall. So that has been sort of a longer term thing that we need to address that provision 
within the U.S. Real ID Act. We need to repeal that um, because it takes away due process. And there was a, a lawsuit that was filed by Zapata County and a couple of landowners here in federal court about that very thing as a as a civil rights issue. Anyway, after the summer of 2022, when the billion dollars gets taken away from Laredo, we can breathe this sort of sigh of relief, even though the waiver of law thing is always still going to be there looming on the horizon for us. But we'd heard about Abbott wanting to do these things. And there were a few times that uh, through Operation Lone Star, they came and they went to the um, city, you know, city of Laredo, because the city of Laredo is a huge property owner on the river, you know, with trails and parks and, and infrastructure. And they wanted to put up this um, chain link fence with concertina wire, you know, all over the place. And it was, it really made no sense because they were like, well, we just want to put it up. And if you want to take it down, you can, and it would be in the floodplain. And, but our, our city council again, just said, no, thank you, but no, we're not going to do this. And it just doesn't make sense. We started hearing about all of this also with the wall and Abbott in the fall, but. And, and when you say Abbott, you mean governor Greg yeah, Abbott, Texas governor, Greg who Abbott, is, who is now um, wants to build these state funded border walls under Operation Lone Star, which is his multi-billion dollar border enforcement program that he rolled out. You know, we really weren't even aware of all of those movements and activities happening from Austin until January, early, the first week of January of this year, 2023. And... We were like, oh, my goodness, you're kidding, right? <laughs> We've already been down this path. We stopped the Trump wall, David versus Goliath battle. The community rejected the wall. Our governmental entities, resolution after resolution, rejected the wall. And now we're back at this. And I think... What's so mind-blowing about it is a couple of things. It's this obscene amount of money. You know, they've passed five contracts so far. We are number four and number five. And they have, they are awarding $361 million to destroy 16 river miles here in Webb and Zapata. And to put that into context, right, for example, they're targeting these two really low-income working-class communities in Southern Web, Rio Bravo and El Cenizo. And these places need a police force, right? They don't have a police force. There are border issues, border security issues, right? But the community does not want a wall. They don't want a 30-foot steel wall to cut through their city take their one and only major park along the river that, like us, has formed part of their identity. And they don't want that. And they don't want the destruction in that way, but also the devaluation of their properties that will happen. Anyway, for example, 
you know, we've been asking the local law enforcement here, what would it cost to create and operate a modern 24-hour staffed police force for Rio Bravo and El Ceniso to have all the latest stuff? You know, what would that cost? It's like $1.2 million a year. Wow. And this guy, Abbott, in Austin and his little friends want to come here and destroy a mile along the river for $24 million dollars for one mile and cut that check, you know, to Tommy Fisher, Fisher Sand and Gravel in North Dakota, right? It's crazy. Perspective again here. The International Boundary and Water Commission, they are a federal agency housed under the State Department that is responsible for overseeing the treaties of the Rio Grande between both sides. They manage two massive reservoirs, five dam diversions. I mean, and also, you know, the, the water diversions that feeds communities on both sides. They're, they have a staff of 300 and their whole budget for a year is $50 million. It's just like the scale of this project is just so obscene, right? It's big government wanting to come in and squash the little guy. Because what these guys have done is they've done a runaround around all the local officials. Nobody knew what was going on till we started making calls in January when contract four was dropped. Nobody had any idea. The county commissioners, the mayors there, our congressmen, our mayor, like nobody knew. And they're certainly not consulting with any of those communities. We've been door knocking, block walking, and these people, they're not aware. Um, they don't want this. They want other things, you know, for, for, for real solutions for security and protection. So, I mean, just like Trump, it's just... It's just a, an incredibly expensive political um, prop. You know, it's being done to create political photo ops, raise political campaign contributions to benefit a couple of folks up in Austin. And the burden will be carried by us here. And we've already said we don't want this. Yeah, and, and for people who have never been to Laredo or Webb County, uh, can you talk about the two communities where the governor wants to build these walls and how many miles is it? And are there two contracts that have been given out, two different companies? Can mm -hmm. you talk about those companies a little bit more as well? So the state agency in charge of this project, the Texas Facilities Commission, they're in charge of buildings for state agencies and parking lots. And so they've been given this, this enormous, massive infrastructure project um, along our river here. And so the last two contracts that they've awarded on January 4th, it was contract four, and that was for $224 million for nine miles to Fisher Sand and Gravel out of North Dakota, right? Same guys from the Trump administration. And then two weeks later, they awarded contract five, and that's for $137 million 
for 6.6 miles here in Webb and Zapata. This has been an incredibly secretive project with no transparency. We've made numerous requests and they have not issued the alignments. We don't exactly know where. We know in general they're targeting Southern Webb County, um, including these two incorporated cities of Rio Bravo and El Ceniso. And they're also looking at some other landowners in Northwest Webb County. And Rio Bravo and El Ceniso, you know, these are former colonias, right? Uh, areas where there was no running water and wastewater, electricity, you know, unpaved streets. That's how those communities got started a few decades ago. And, and now they are incorporated cities and they're kind of like these sister cities there in Southern Web. Um, probably in total, you're looking at maybe five to 7,000 people, probably 97% Hispanic, um, working class, high poverty. And, you know, I think, you know, what's insidious about all of this is Abbott, um, they are not using eminent domain the way the federal government was. That's not their tool, mainly because um, state rep Tracy King inserted a rider into that appropriations bill that said you cannot use eminent domain for this border wall. So what they're doing is they're offering money for access to right-of-way easements. And in some cases, they're going to these you know, they're very small property owners in Rio Bravo El Ceniso, you know, offering them, say, $18,000, $19,000. That's probably what some of them earn in a year, you know, so that they can have, you know, 115-foot right-of-way easement to access their land and property. What they're not telling these people is what's going to happen to the value of their lands afterward. They're not telling them, you know, what are you going to do with your land with a 30-foot steel wall? Who are you going to sell that to? Who Who's going to inherit that? What are you going to do with that? And this wall that's just going to cut through the middle of this city and forever take away your access to the park and river. We've, we've door knocked on several hundred homes and because this is a race against time, against Abbott and his people that want to get these landowners signed up. So it's a race against time to reach them and let them know what's happening and to urge them to not sign. Don't sign any sort of document. Don't feel pressured to do so until you've talked to an attorney. And we have attorneys from our first fight that are again part of this second fight that are willing to help these property owners free of charge. And so a few have been approached. Many are not aware whatsoever about this. They're completely unaware. Um, they have questions. Um, they want, you know, want to understand what the impacts are. How is this going to affect their property values? Those have been mainly the types of questions we're getting. They're 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 not being honest and and they're not being transparent about any of this. You know, they're doing it through these third party contractors, Universal Field Services, or some of their land guys. 
that are, um, you know, just trying to get some of these property owners to sign and take the money for uh, some rights of way easements. You know, we've seen one of the letters and just a one page letter, just that it's for border security and it's just for right of way uh, easement, just access through right of way easements. And then that gives them the authority to construct the wall and then, go through it forever. And then do they have like an enforcement zone on e either side that they can drive up and down and do things? Um, you know, I'd imagine that that is the case. Again, they've not been transparent, but in their contracts, they've not released contract five, but the contract four that we've seen, it's all the Trump specs. Uh, the, the, the border wall specs specifications, it's, 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 um, identical and, um, you know, um, so I am speculating that they are going to need their security enforcement zone and what they're not telling people, um, at least in these letters is that this is forever. This is not temporary. This is not a year, five years, 15 years. So, these land values, property values will become essentially worthless after this thing gets erected across these lands. There are steel, there are steel railings um, and there are these panels and 30 feet, you know, that's the height of a three-story building. It's more than twice the height of the Berlin Wall. It's massive and um, you know, concrete foundations, you know, that, that need to get put in is, is, is what they're planning to do. And there'll be like, you know, periodic gates who has access to those gates and can go in and out. I'm not sure, you know, certainly not your everyday person or wildlife. You know, a lot of those people there have horses and goats that go down to the river to drink, water. And, um, anyway, I think, you know, what, what, what they're trying to sell to the public and so many people who don't know the border may have this misconception based on this, like fear story that they tell about us is what they're trying to sell, right? It's this golden smile with all these missing teeth. They're going to put up you know, these little pockets of these massive destructive steel walls and what you're creating peninsulas, you're creating a leaky vase, you know, they're probably going to cut through that anyway, or find a way to get over um, crossers I'm talking about, or just make their way around and impact other property owners. It's just not a real policy solution to deal with migration. And when you talk about drugs, the DEA has been very consistent year after year after year in their reports. The overwhelming majority of drugs comes in through the ports, land ports, through trucks, um, airports, seaports. So they ask us for solutions. We're like, well, why don't you build something modern and huge at the checkpoints? Why don't you have a robust program that sustainably manages invasive species along the river, the giant Carrizo cane, and then you reforest with natives. You know, why don't you have, you know, some, some good, capable 
technology that's not so intrusive, but that's far more adept at at monitoring and detecting, you know, any type of crossings that are happening. You know, those are some areas where we believe they can focus just a fraction of that money, give Rio Bravo and Encenizo a well-equipped modern police force where they'd have, you're investing that money in that community. You're giving them real safety and protection 24 hours. Like do real stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, time and time again, local communities, border communities have all kinds of solutions because you all live here in these communities and you know what needs to be done. But time and time again, that message never gets to Austin, to the Capitol, and it never gets to Washington, D.C. And I don't know why. Why Why don't those local solutions get implemented by the powers that be? I'm not sure. Maybe because they don't fund, you know, the wallets of these big campaign contributors, you know, the cronies. I don't know. But I know we're trying to get the message out all the time and try to provide perspective on uh, just just like this waste of money and how it could be redirected. There is an opportunity. And if they're really going to parrot over and over how they do care about border security, well, so do we. And But you have to come to us, the communities that live here, that will be impacted, not just ecologically or with our water source, but with our property values. You need to come here and have real, real conversations with us about alternatives. And if you're only going to come here and try to force some 30 foot steel wall down our throats, you're going to run into you're going to have trouble here. Well, thank you so much, Trish. I really, really appreciate you taking the time to talk to the Border Chronicle today. Thank you, Melissa. And if people are interested in this, you know, please follow um, our website, the No Border No Border Wall Coalition, and the social media platforms of its um, No Border Wall Laredo Coalition. The Border Chronicle is reported by Todd Miller and Melissa Del Bosque, based in Tucson, Arizona. This interview was edited by me, Hannah Gaber. If you like what you're hearing, please consider rating us on your favorite podcast platform and tell a friend. Word of mouth is the best way to get the show out there. We'll drop a link to the No Border Wall Coalition in the show notes for you, and make sure you read the whole story on theborderchronicle.com.